invite you to stand with me for the reading of the scripture today. May the spirit be at work as we hear the word of God. The text today is Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So some of you might know what I'm talking about when I say the word flow. You know the psychological term? It's like sometimes called being in the zone. It's sort of this sense of energized focus and effortless attention. And when you're in flow, time perception kind of contorts. You first stop caring about your phone, and, and you're in the zone. It's a little bit like driving super fast on an empty freeway in North Dakota when there is no blizzard. Maybe you have found flow in painting or design or, or jazz or improv theater. I've heard it's also found in Formula One driving, coding, and math. I don't know anything about that. I've heard. I, I love flow. When I'm working on a creative or academic endeavor, I can find it. In my, in my life, before I was a pastor, I've done a, a lot of musical and theatrical performance. And after a certain number of hours of rehearsal, muscle memory can kind of start to kick in, and you're focused, and there it is. Or even now, when I'm writing a sermon, looking up Greek words, revising sentences, flow, I do find electronica helps. <laughs> I, I remember, though, playing piano in classical music recitals, and I'd be in this state of flow, one with the music, and then suddenly I'd kind of pop out of myself and get all self-conscious, you know what I'm talking about? I, I, would, I would think, well, Joy, good luck at this. <laughs> Making it through this next hard part of the concerto. Isn't it interesting that no one really notices the right 300 notes, but that one wrong one, that's a real stinker. <laughs> and I think, 
is that next chord really D minor? Are you remembering wrong? I mean, what were you thinking wanting to perform in front of all these people? I mean, really, honestly, this is a recipe for disaster. And then I'd, I'd freeze up sometimes and, and I'd hesitate. I would no longer trust the work that had gone into that moment, the, the hours spent practicing in that little room, the agility of my fingers, the memorization of the chart, everything. It was suddenly worth nothing and the flow would be gone. Something that had once become easy after hours of work was suddenly hard again. It was anxiety provoking, it was a little ridiculous and it was gone, the moment was over. Flow is great, but losing flow at the wrong time can really be the opposite of great. It can be horrible, it can be dangerous. When we lose our focus and our self-consciousness rises, we can sink. And so today we're continuing our Lenten journey with Peter, learning from this disciple who becomes an, a kind of an avatar for our own discipleship, learning from Peter the fisherman, Peter the apostle, Peter the rock, who as, as he deepens in relationship with Jesus, he grows into this name that Jesus gave him and he is formed into a disciple who really can be a model for all of us. And in today's story, we join the disciples one dark and stormy night. Here's the context. So the evening before, Jesus had been surrounded by hungry people and he took five loaves and two fish. And with this, he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children, which might have been 12,000 people. Great story earlier in, in Matthew 14. Not our focus today, but that's where we're coming out of. And then Jesus, as you heard, sends the disciples in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee while he finally gets some time alone to himself to pray. Jesus has been trying to get time alone to pray for a while, and finally he gets it. And so as he's praying into the wee hours of the morning, Jesus realizes that the disciples are in trouble. The wind is against the boat. That's what the text says. And so, empowered by the Spirit, Jesus goes out to the disciples in the most efficient way possible by walking on the water. Because we affirm that Jesus is, is fully God and fully human, but that is also not our focus for today. Our focus is Peter. And so back to the disciples, it's a dark and stormy night, and these are weathered fishermen who know this body of water. They know how to steer a boat. They have been in all sorts of storms, and now they're facing this barrage of waves from this intense wind. They've practiced for it. They're experts. But we read that the wind was against the boat, and it gets worse for them. In the middle of the lake, their boat tossed and turned, they see some sort of a phantom, a specter, an apparition. Those are all other translations of the word ghost. And it's moving toward them on the water. Maybe James nudges John, do you see that? And Andrew's like, it's a ghost. And they all start screaming out, these grown men, screaming out, crying out in fear. Is this the end? It's a dark and stormy night, and the specters are rising out of the lake, coming for us. It is just like something out of Harry Potter. But then they hear a voice, have courage, I am. Do not be afraid, I am. 
If you know the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus is referencing how God identifies himself in, in the Bible. This is the identity of God. It's just two short words in Greek, but it rings out over the water. I am, ego emi. And Peter takes Jesus' words to heart. Peter's response is one of great courage. He is suddenly not afraid, and he tests this so-called phantom. If it really is you, Jesus, tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. The phantom passes the test. It is not a phantom. It's Jesus. And so Peter does what Jesus says. Peter swings his legs out of the boat and starts to walk toward Jesus on the water. Now, I don't know about you, but I have so many questions about the story at this point. I'm like, how did the water feel in his feet? You know, think about that a minute. Did, did he sink in a little bit? Or just was he like totally on top like skiing but slow? And then how many steps did he take? How far did he walk out to Jesus? How long was this moment? Was it just a moment or did it go on for a while? And I am sad that we don't know. We are going to have to wait till eternity to ask Peter this one, and I will get in line first. But we do know that when Peter saw the wind, that's what it says in the text, when Peter sees the wind, he becomes afraid and starts to sink. This is the same wind that's been against the boat, and I want to talk about the wind for a minute. So it's almost as if in the story, the wind is a separate character. The word for wind, wind is animos, which is related to the ancient Greek idea of the animoi, which were minor gods of wind in the Greek pantheon. The use of this word does not mean that the, the biblical writers believed in these gods, but it is a way of speaking that, that represents a cultural reality of the time because the wind in the story is personified and it's doing bad things. It's against the boat. It's against Peter. It's scaring Peter scares Peter when he sees the wind. It's almost as if Peter has been in the zone, in the flow with Jesus as he moves toward Jesus on the water. And maybe there's this moment where their eyes lock. And, and Peter does what, what he probably more than any of us was really born to do. I mean, he's a fisherman who knows the waves, who knows the water, but his attention isn't on that stuff, at least not at first. First, it's on Jesus, Lord, if it's you. Tell me to come out to you on the water. Because Peter wants to be with Jesus. But suddenly he grows self-conscious. He looks, he looks around. He realizes the ridiculousness of the situation, the, the waves, the wind. He realizes he's walking on water. And, and maybe he should honestly be a little more afraid in this situation. I mean, this kind of thing doesn't happen. People don't walk on water. If this wind is strong enough to push the boat sideways, what's it going to do to me, he wonders. I am a good swimmer, but it's hard to swim out in open water in a wind like this, and probably I'm not a good enough swimmer. And what was I thinking? But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid. And starting to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, that's what the text says, immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs Peter because Jesus is right there. Peter has been going toward Jesus, but when he sinks, Jesus is right there. You see that? Jesus is he's right there. He's ready to catch him. He's ready to take hold of him. And then 
Jesus pulls him out of the water and says, and this is my translation, little trust, why did you waver? I want to unpack this for a minute. Jesus' address to Peter begins with a single word, little trust. This word is only used six times in scripture. It's all in the Gospels, and only Jesus says it. It is a combination of two words, which you see in the translation. Oligos, little, and pistis, which is often translated faith, but I prefer trust because it has less religious baggage. Little trust. You know, Jesus isn't chiding Peter. He's not rebuking him. He is not correcting him. He is simply naming the reality. Little trust. Peter has a small amount of trust. Do we identify with Peter here? I think we might be supposed to. When I was a little girl growing up in a small church, my nickname was Little Joy. It was because, there I am. Okay, it was because there was another girl in our church also called Joy, and she was a few years older than me, and so she was Big Joy, and I was Little Joy. It did not mean that there was less potential for joy in me. It just meant that I was smaller. And at some point, I'll tell you, Little Joy exceeded Big Joy in height, and people still called me Little Joy, but it didn't matter much because then we moved away. So, Little Trust, though, it's, it's diminutive. It's a caring way that Jesus addresses Peter as he rescues him from the water. Little Trust, why did you waver? Now, our translation I read earlier, it says doubt, but there's more to it than that. Often doubt is a shadow on trust. You know what I mean? It's something dark that overshadows it. But here, Peter's doubt or wavering is really a wavering of attention. He's literally wavering on the water because his attention has shifted from Jesus to the winds. He's looking around at the wind, at the strength of the powers of the waves that surround him, the reality of the fear, and he sinks. Little trust. Why did you waver? And I don't know if Peter answered him, but maybe he, in his mind, thought something like this. Well, duh, Jesus. I wavered because I was walking on water, and literally no one does that except for, obviously, God in the Old Testament, and now you, but you are, as I am realizing, the son of God, and so you can, but I can't. So, so please get me back in the boat. I, I wavered, Jesus. I wavered because I lost focus. I got out of the flow with you. I, I got distracted by the wind and the waves. I started looking at them instead of you. And then they get back in the boat. And the wind ceases. And we know who controls the wind. And the disciples put two and two together and they worship Jesus, proclaiming for the first time in Matthew's gospel, truly, truly, you are the son of God. I wonder if this text from the book of Job was running through their heads at this time. He alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. He made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things beyond our understanding and marvelous things without number. You alone, Jesus, truly you are the son of God, the one who stretched out the heavens, who trampled the waves of the sea. It is you. It is you. Now, a few thoughts for us about this text. When we come together, we hear the word of God. 
We learn what it says and what it meant. But our question now is, what does the Spirit have to say to us today here in Hinsdale in March of 2023? How might the Holy Spirit be inviting us to hear and to apply the word of God? If Peter is an avatar for discipleship, what can we be learning from his journey with and in this story toward Jesus? So first, this story tells us that the reality is that bad things happen. Now, I know this can sound trite, but it's really true, and we see that in the story. Because the disciples, really, they've done exactly what Jesus told them to do. They've taken the boat to go to the other side of the lake, just like Jesus said. They're doing it right. But even in their obedience, the wind was against them. Friends, trials and struggles are part of the Christian life. Do not be surprised when bad things happen. It is life. Walking with Jesus and walking in obedience is not always easy. One of the things I think we face today is this modern heresy called the prosperity gospel. And and this promises that followers of Jesus will be richer and healthier and more successful than they otherwise would have been. Now, there's some nuance here because there is actually some truth to the fact that if we follow the ethics and standards and virtues of scripture, we can have more flourishing lives. I agree with that. But it does not mean that we are immune to the chaos caused by sin. Bad things happen. Suffering and failure is part of of the Christian life. But God uses it to form us. Sometimes the wind is against us. But even in these bad things, and this leads to the next point, we are not alone. Because when the bad things happen, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He was up there praying on the mountain. He knew what the bad things that were happening to them. He knows his disciples are out on the lake, and then he joins them. Bad things happen, but Jesus follows. Jesus knows, and he sees, and he's with us. Jesus went out there on the lake to be with his disciples, and then he proclaims good news. Don't be afraid. I am. Have courage. And then Jesus hears us. Peter puts out a kind of a weird request, you know. Lord, if it's really you, command me to come out to the water. Why did he say that? Couldn't he he just said, oh, we're so glad you're here, Jesus. Now we know we're going to be okay. Come on and get in the boat. But he didn't say that. He's like, if it's really you, command me to come out to you on the water. And and I struggled with this this week, and Pastor Lars and I had a conversation, and, and we came to an agreement based on the text that Peter is not volunteering to swim out to Jesus. He really wants to go out on the water, walking on the water. And Jesus obliges him. Jesus hears Peter's specific request and then empowers him to walk on the water. In the midst of these bad things, Jesus follows and hears our requests, and he even answers some of the specific ones, like he did for Peter. You know, in my own Christian life, there have been some times when I've prayed some rather unusual yet specific things. And sometimes, not all the time, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel here, sometimes the Lord hears and answers them. As an example, and this is ridiculous but true, when my husband and I were in our early 20s, we were going to seminary, we had no money, and this is how old the story is, 
we had a very small CD player that had been mine in high school, and it stopped working. And we didn't have money to replace it. And I remember praying, like, Jesus, would you make this CD player work again? And it did. I'm just saying, not, not prosperity gospel, but sometimes Jesus hears our specific requests and answers them. And I have many more to share that are a, quite a bit bigger, but that's just an example. And I don't know why sometimes and not other times. I don't know. I don't know. But I will tell you. I will tell you that Jesus hears our weird requests. And sometimes he answers them affirmatively. He hears us. Because the real amazing part of the story that we can't forget is that Peter walked on water. Little trust. Little trust was successful, even for a few steps. He was in the flow with Jesus. He was in the flow with Jesus. And maybe you can think about this. You can think, you know what? I have been in the flow with Jesus at some point in my life, in my walk with Christ. Maybe you can think, yeah, I was in the flow. I used to be sort of spiritually in the zone. Maybe it was at camp. Maybe it was in college if you went to dorm floor Bible studies. Or, or maybe you think, that, that time I used to take walks and pray. I was in the zone then. I was really listening to God. I, I remember a spiritual friend I had, how we'd encourage each other and, and pray for each other and, and tell each other our deep truths and fears and worries and be totally vulnerable with each other. I remember when I was in the zone. I remember when it really seemed that God had defeated the sin in my life. I remember when I, I didn't seem to struggle so much with addictive substances or, or when I didn't go to pornography every time I was lonely or bored. I remember when things were better for me spiritually. I remember being in the zone. And now I just feel like I'm sinking. And in those moments, those times we reflect on how we've lost spiritual flow, our eyes have been taken off Christ, and we are sinking just like Peter. But when Peter loses flow and sinks, Jesus is right there, ready to help him up. All Peter has to say is, Lord, save me. But Jesus responds, little trust, he says. Maybe you can identify with this the most. I might want you to pay special attention to the painting painted from Peter's perspective below the water. Yeah, maybe you're like, yeah, I, I'm like that. I have, I have a little trust. I, I, my trust is so small, it's like an atom. I totally can't see it, but I hope it's there. And when your trust is not enough, when you can't even see it, when you get distracted by the wind and the waves and lose sight of the reason you got out of the boat, Jesus is there. He is there with his hand open to yours. Little trust, why did you waver? You know, none of the disciples are called big trust. No one got that moniker. They are all little trust. But it's these little trusts that as they spend time with Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, being rescued by him, worshiping him, that they grow into the people God had them to be. So here's your questions for reflection. Where are you in the story today? Do you feel like you've lost flow with Jesus? Are you wavering? Are you sinking? Have you sunk? Are you under the water? 
Have the bad things in life distracted you from Jesus? Are you out of the zone spiritually? These are questions for us to consider in our, in our hearts and minds. So we're going to take a moment of silence. Do you need to cry out, Lord, save me? Or Lord Jesus, who is ready to save? Let us ponder this together.